Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining the Tar Heel State of Mind podcast. This is our first episode, and we are so glad that you're here. Uh, so just to kind of start off, these opinions are our own, and it's for our entertainment. That's why we're making the podcast, and we hope that it'll also be for your amusement. If you like what we have to say, we hope that you'll follow along with us each week, and you'll come and join and hear what we have to say about Carolina sports. Uh, so we'll start by introducing ourselves. We'll explain why we love UNC. I'll go first. My name's Nathan. Uh, I was brought into UNC at a very young age. When I was two, my grandfather started taking us to season football games with my dad and my uncle. So I grew up going to season football games. My grandfather went to UNC. He fell in love with the basketball team. He was there in 1957 for the first championship. So I really was brought up in it. I love UNC very much. I'm especially interested in basketball, wrestling, and football, but the other sports as well. So now I'll go ahead and I will kick it over to Bradley. Yeah, man. So I'm Bradley. Um, I went to UNC from 2011-2014. Uh, Dad graduated from Carolina in the early 90s, so I was kind of brought into uh, being a Carolina fan. My mom actually told me a story of the day I was born. Uh, day after I, I was born, my dad was holding me, and we were watching a Carolina basketball game together. And he was kind of whispered and said, "This is what we're going to do when we when you're older, as we're going to watch these games together." Um, so ever since I can remember understanding basketball, I've been watching the Heels. Um, that game that my dad and I were watching when I was one day old um, was actually the beginning of a four-day losing streak for the Heels in 1992. A team that featured. Eric Montrose, Pat Sullivan, Donna Williams, and senior Hubert Davis, um, a team that basically returned all their starters and won it the next year. So even though we're still in this four-game losing streak right now, um, I have high hopes for this team. Awesome. Thanks so much, Bradley. I will now kick it over to Nick, the third member of our podcast. All right. What's up, guys? My name's Nick. Um, my first memory of UNC was back when my father had a VHS recording of the 1993 national semifinals and finals. Um, I used to watch that tape probably once a month, once probably twice a month growing up. I always used to have it in my room. Um, that was my first ever moment. I remember you know, watching UNC from a young age. Um, my dad graduated from UNC pharmacy school in 1977. So it's, he's been, he's, you know, Tar Heel born and bred. Um, I've been very involved with mostly basketball. I've learned a little bit more about football and I was also, I like, I enjoy watching the soccer team as well. I have a, no, have a little bit of knowledge of everything, but a lot of knowledge of the basketball portion of our podcast, but I'm looking forward to jumping in and getting to know, getting to know everything about all the other sports and pretty much just putting my opinions out there and hoping somebody will enjoy watching us awesome thanks so much nick so sounds like while everybody else was watching disney vhs's growing up you were watching some carolina basketball reruns go ahead and start scouting young pretty much pretty much yeah i think i still got them somewhere at the house too (laughs) hey we might have to link up and watch those together i like watching the old games cool well uh let's go ahead and start with explaining why are we making this podcast so there are a lot of unc podcasts we've talked about this before so why did we want to make our own podcast and i'll go ahead and shift this over to bradley what do you think bradley uh yeah man so for me i think it's it's an outlet for me to kind of let out my frustrations about this carolina basketball team uh we always text um and facetime throughout the games anyways so this is kind of a a way for us to communicate and reconvene after the game um, or after the week's worth of games and just kind of chat about it. So, so just concerns, opinions, and love for Carolina basketball. Um, and so really nobody else will listen to me, so I have you guys to uh, uh, to listen. So I appreciate, appreciate you guys lending an ear. 
Yeah, no, I think that's a great answer, and I'll kind of piggyback off of that. I don't think any of us are here to call for a coach's job or to really go over the top like that, but I certainly think that in some podcasts that I've listened to that they pull punches and that uh, they kind of do more of a blanket criticism about the team, and uh, I'd like to just, yeah, for sure, Bradley, uh, I do think they sugarcoat, and I'd like to discuss maybe some things that we see and things that we think that are more specific. So I'm hoping that that can be our niche and uh, hoping that everyone that listens can enjoy that along with us. So let's go ahead and just jump right in here. I don't think that we have much else introduction to do. And I think that the obvious direction to go now is Carolina basketball. Uh, So instead of just kind of getting scatterbrained and talking all over the place about the basketball team, let's start with the first four games. So the first four games, we did play mid-majors, high, high expectations coming into the season. Uh, a lot of our players, they said that they were coming back to win an Addy this year. They wanted to have their redemption tour, just like in 2017. So I'll go ahead and let's start with Bradley. What did you think about the first four games this year? They did have super, super high expectations. I think we, all three of us, had high expectations as well coming out of the gate. And maybe those expectations were too high for this team. Um, We we know what they were capable of because we watched them play six six games in a row last year. As they closed out the season, they just fell one rebound short. Uh, Brady Manick missed a a rebound, a box out in the the national championship game. And, you know, we just – didn't close out the game and, and, and lost in the natty. So um, returning four of the five of those starters, um, those expectations were super high. And um, have we lived up to them yet? No, we haven't. But we'll, we'll talk about just highlight their first four games. So uh, they were mid-majors, but they're quality opponents, I think. I mean, they were four great, great teams. UNCW was the first game, College of Charleston, Gardner-Webb, and James Madison. So... Um, I mean, I can kind of run through these games, um, just some, just some quick stats, um, and, and kind of sum up what happened with those with those first four games. Um, collectively, I think we didn't perform um, as well as we should have against the quality of opponent uh, quality of opponent that we're playing. Yeah, they're mid majors, but um, and, and they're they're good teams. But coming in as the number one team in the country with you know four returning starters, you would expect us to have a higher margin of victory than what we did. Um, so UNCW, um, RJ and Caleb Love, I think they picked up right where they left off. They both had 17 points that game, which is higher than their previous season averages last year. Uh, Baycott performed really well. He had 16 points, nine rebounds. Uh, but we made UNCW look like a great team, and they're 6-3 and three right now. So um, their best win has been against Coastal Carolina, and they've been blow- blown out by other quality opponents like UConn and um, Oklahoma. Um, Another concern starting out of the gate is kind of what we did last year where we, we played our starters super heavy minutes. You know, all of our starters were playing 32 to 35 minutes a game. And uh, collectively, our bench played 38 minutes um, in that first game. So I don't know if you guys have anything specifically to add to UNCW, but that was kind of my summary. Yeah, no, I think that everything you said is pretty spot on. And you actually did make me think of something that I want to ask Nick about real quick. So a big part of last year's team was Brady Manick. I think that's undeniable. Dawson Garcia, whatever happened with him, we won't speculate, but uh, Dawson, he was no longer with the team uh, coming down the stretch, and Brady Manick moved into the starting role. Brady became a huge part of our team, and you could really make the argument he was the heart of the team, even though he was only at UNC for a year. We kind of went as Brady went. So we lose Brady Manick, 
and we go into the transfer portal. Everyone knows about Gigi Jackson. Unfortunately, he reclassed, decommitted, but we add this guy named Pete Nance. So Pete Nance comes from Northwestern, and we think that could fill our Brady Manic role. So I want to kind of move this over to Nick. Nick, what did you have for expectations for Nance, and how do you, what do you see going on with that? So I think a lot of that expectation comes from the fact that his dad was a very good NBA player. His brother is in the NBA and is well-known. Um, both of them, you know, given from that name and having a father and an older brother that's in the NBA, like you kind of have these expectations that he's going to come in, he's going to be a 25 and – 25 and 12, 25 and 13 guy. Um, and especially when you have him replacing someone like Brady Manick, who at la- last year we didn't think that he was going to be what he was. We thought he was just going to come in, hit a couple threes, and then that was going to be that was going to be it. But he spread the floor, and he ended up being like a huge key piece to our, to our team and being that actual rotation, like that player who could take the pressure off of Armando in the paint. He could give – like he – made people honest into stepping out on him at the three-point line, gave Caleb open shots, gave RJ open shots. And the first couple of games this year, I think Pete did not kind of, he had, you know, he had his one game where he's 20, he had 28 points, which was great. Um, I feel like he doesn't, he, he hasn't shown that people need to respect his jump shot, that they need to step out on him and come out and play hard defense on him on the perimeter. Because I think once we get to that level, um, Caleb's game is going to open up. RJ's game is going to open up. Um, I think, in my per- my own opinion, is that I had really high expectations that he was going to come in and kind of do the exact same thing Brady was doing at the end of the year, and it kind of bummed me out when he didn't. But like that's just an expectation that I had to reset for myself because every player is different, and you need to have that. You need to kind of have like that fresh expectation every year because he came from Northwestern. He was a good four-year player, averaged really good, and you know had some really good point points per game, rebounds. But ACC basketball is different basketball, so you kind of have to reset those expectations when you come in and you know let him have a couple games and see. And we've seen those games where he can score twenty-five points a game, and that might not be every game, but I, I think at the end of the year, it's going to be. More than not, he's going to be able to help us out. And even today, you know, during Virginia Tech, he showed a couple, couple hot spurts in Indiana's game. He showed he had nine points straight, rattled them off. Like, people are eventually going to have to respect him, and I think that's going to help RJ and Caleb get open shots as well. Yeah, I think you're spot on with that. And I do think that it's definitely interesting the different way that guys play. So what I'm seeing a little bit of right now, and it reminds me a lot of last year when Dawson Garcia was playing with the two bigs with Garcia and Baycott, both in the paint together. I know that Nance has a little bit more of an extended game than Garcia did, but modern day college basketball, it just two bigs with their back to the basket. It doesn't work and it clogs the paint. A lot of teams are going to double those guys. Uh, It, it's definitely interesting how college basketball has changed. So, uh, yeah, Adam Nance, I agree with you. Huge expectations. Uh, I think the guy is great on offense. Uh, I think on defense, it could be a little bit better. Uh, I think that rebounding, uh, sometimes there's tough rebounds that have to be grabbed and you just, you have to make the play sometimes. And, uh, I'm hoping that that'll get a little bit better and that'll get there. But yeah, I agree with everything you said. Uh, so we Kind of went through the mid-majors here. We talked a little bit about UNCW, College of Charleston's actually a pretty good mid-major. Uh, great team, honestly. Uh, Bradley, can you wrap us back now to talk a little bit about the Gardner-Webb and James Madison games? Yeah, I, I want to touch on one thing, though, that, that Nick had mentioned, just kind of comparing Pete and Brady. 
Um, it's it's so hard to do, and I know we expected him to kind of do the same thing Brady was doing last year, um, and maybe he will. But you know, Brady didn't turn it on until the last, you know, the back half of the season. Um, but Brady made more threes last year than Pete Nance has made in four years at Northwestern. You know, so it's it's hard to compare those two guys because Brady was shooting shooting is such more of his shots were threes. So, you know, of course, he's going to hit more three-point shots than Pete. And I think Pete's also trying to get used to – because if you look back to all of, all of the games we played and, and rewatch them, he struggled backing down defenders because he either gets called for a travel or an offensive foul. And I think he's still kind of getting used to um, maybe these higher caliber games where the refs are calling things that – what, is Northwestern the Big Ten or Big Twelve? I don't know where they, when it, which conference they're in. Um, yeah, you're correct. It's the Big, Big Ten. 10. Um, so maybe the refs in the Big Ten are a little bit more lenient on those types of plays, and he's kind of getting used to um, playing a little bit differently because the refs are calling those types of things on him more frequently. Um, so I think that's a big thing as well. Yeah, for sure. I think I think that conferences do play different styles of basketball, and I do want to touch on a little bit bigger picture point here. I am thoroughly disappointed with the NCAA and the way that they are, I mean, honestly, just officiating games. So, and I'm not, it's not just a Carolina thing. The NCAA told us coming into the season that a big emphasis was going to be on flopping and trying to take that out of the game. And Uh, watching games around the country not just carolina i see when a big man puts his back to the basket first contact defender goes down it's been call a charge all year and traditional back to the basket plays really being removed from the game i've seen you know our guy tyler hansbro he's been very upset about it on social media uh there's been a lot of soft contact it's called a charge uh I don't know what big men are supposed to do. I, I guess they want big men playing, uh, facing the basket just like guards, and they just they don't want the backing down and things like that taking place in the paint. So it's been a huge disappointment for me uh, from the NCAA. But, yeah, so kind of moving into talking a little bit about Gardner-Webb and James Madison. So I thought that Gardner-Webb and James Madison were two very different games. Gardner-Webb is 2-5, and five, a team that we honestly we should boat race 100 times out of 100. Uh, and then James Madison is a team that came into that game averaging over 100 points per game and I thought would give us a problem more than they did. Uh, Nick, what did you see in those games and did you want to talk about those a little bit? I think for the Gardner-Webb game, for me personally, it was um, basically a sloppier game. I think that was a game where we played more down to the level of competition of which we were having. Like, Gardner-Webb's a good team, don't get me wrong. But, I mean, on paper, it shouldn't have really been as close of a game as it was. I mean, I still feel like that's those early getting the jitters out, like finding the new team, like getting Pete in the rotation, making sure he's getting his touches, making sure Mando's getting his touches. Um for my first four games, I feel like we really played down to the level of competition. I don't feel like the defense has been bad. I feel like our defense has actually been pretty pretty good. I feel like our offense is what has been stagnant in those first couple of games. Now, with the lower-level Division ones, it's hard to really test how well you're scoring, how easy you're scoring, stuff like that. You can't really, really kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. Um, but like in the Gardner-Webb game, like Love shot 7 for 17, um, 2 for 6 from 3. RJ had a okay game he had he was four of 13 two of eight from three um total they were seven for 30 altogether. i mean so pete had 
18 points, so that's good. Um, the bench played 39 minutes, which I really like this because after last year when you had Puff blowing after like seven-minute stretches because he just wasn't getting enough game time, I thought this was really important because we're basically twice as deep as we were last year, and I feel like for us to be really, really back to Carolina basketball, we're going to have to use that bench to like really run teams down, in my opinion. Um, second game was JMU. I think this is the first time as long as I can remember that we've scored 100 points in a game besides the Alabama game, which had four overtimes. Um, this was Puff's first game back. RJ had a better game, shot about 40%. Love had a little bit more of an off game with 3 of 11. Baycott had the best game of the year, 23 and 19. And again, right here, the bench, 32 minutes. Um, now, again, with your games at the beginning of the year, you're going to have more people coming off the bench, more people rotating through, trying to get a feel for the ball. Um, people who I thought I were impressed by was Seth Trimble, and Tyler Nickel, I think, had some good minutes off the bench. I think DeMarco Dunn's really stepped up this year, too, and, like, improved. Um, he's going to be a good – I think he'll be a key player down the stretch, like, getting us, some. I think, some solid buckets. And Seth Trimble on the defensive end has really helped us, too. Um, and then, of course, shout-out to Leakey, my be- my favorite player on the team. He holds it down for us on the defensive end. Um, other than that, I think that's pretty much what I saw from those first games. I mean, I was pretty happy with them. Now, obviously, if – if I'm just being upfront and honest, I want them to blow everyone out by 100. We should score 100 on every team. But you know, with a new with a new team with high expectations, with transfers coming in, new players that are getting more um, second year players that are getting more playing time this year versus the first year, like it's going to take some growing pains and it's going to be tough to get those people in rotation and get them sorted. But I mean, that's what we have to do at the end of the day. You have to get them on the floor and get them to play, and then the more they play, the easier it comes, and the offense flows, the defense flows, and it's a lot better that way. Yeah, and I think it's a lot of what we talked about, and I know that we've joked about this in our group text. Uh, I'd rather have this happen in November than March, and you figure it out in November, and you get ready for March. So uh, hopefully we're on the way there, but I do think it's important. We need to cover the uh, Phil Knight Invitational Tournament, which, uh, big picture, I do think that's unfortunate scheduling. Uh, So... Our team has to go over to the West Coast. They have to stay there for, uh, I guess, four, five days, something like that. So they do have a pretty intensive schedule over there. And then I read on Twitter somewhere that they were saying the guys had to go straight from there to Indiana. So they had not been home in over a week at that point. Uh, Just glad to play in tournaments like that. Scheduling's tough when you have to come into the Big Ten ACC Challenge. So uh, we'll start with Portland. Portland's a lower-tier West Coast Conference team. Uh, they're kind of uh, beat on by Gonzaga every year. So we come into that game, went at 89-81. Bradley, what did you see in that game? Yeah, so um, we look, we made Portland look like they were Gonzaga in that game. Um, or maybe they just played really well. I don't know. But they look, they look like a solid team. Portland just hit difficult shots. They hit them at a high clip. Um, and I thought we played decent defense. Um, they were just playing really, really, really good basketball. Um, I think... Caleb Love and Pete Nance, they both had great games. Um, Caleb Love shot, what, 66%, uh, 3 for 4 from 3, had 23 points. Nance was 8 for 13, 5 for 8 from 3. So that's more of like a Brady Manic type game uh, with 28 points. Um, so, I'm, but the sad thing is we, we had to have Pete and Caleb Love playing at the top of their games to win that game. Um, so I don't think that's, that's ideal. Um, we did have 17 assists on 31 made field goals. I think that's the highest of the season for for us, which is 
you know, it makes sense that we played good ball. We, we were passing the ball, um, and I think that's a game to to point at. I think that's a game that that Hubert should show his should show his team and tell them what you know, this is what they're capable of. Um, so yeah, I mean, I thought I thought they played really well. That's probably their best game they played this season. I think that I'm hearing a little bit of a theme from both of you guys that the mid-majors were really just relying on out-talenting them and were not beating them as a team. We're, we have individuals that are more talented than their individuals, and that's how we're winning those games. Uh, Nick, is that kind of what you're seeing, or are you seeing something a little bit different? I'm definitely seeing that, like, you know, this, these teams that we're playing, these, these lower mid-majors, are giving us their best games like they're not laying up turning you know laying down and just taking a beating from you know a top tier team um like i can touch on like the iowa state game like uh remind me of his name he had 31 points yeah uh it was he was was 7 11 3 11 of 15 overall 31 points career high um i'm sorry caleb grill caleb grill yeah like he, 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 you know, best game of his career. Like shout out to him for having such a good game. Like he was in the zone. Like he did well. And like, you know, we're getting people's best, best games. We're not getting people. They're not coming in and like having having bad games. Like we're getting people who are having career career highs. Um, um, you know, they're hitting shots at a high clip. Seven of eleven from three is like unheard of. Like you, you're gonna have a hard time beating any team. Is gonna have a hard time beating a team when they're shooting seven when you have a guy shooting 70 percent from the three-point line in a game especially when you're hitting seven of them well the thing is he turned around the next game and had one point so yep well i we've all watched enough carolina basketball and this was a roy williams philosophy it's obviously been passed down to hubert we are going to be committed to taking their best player out of the game and whoever their best player is for whatever team we play, Leaky is going to go on him, and he's going to have a career bad game, career lows. And then they're going to have some random role player, might be a bench player, might be a starter that's not one of their better players, that's going to drop a 30-piece on us, and we're all going to be scratching our heads. I, I just, I really wonder, I don't know, I wonder if that's a good game plan. Obviously, we've won national championships. This year, it's hurt us a little bit. But that that is Carolina basketball, for better or for worse. I think that... I want to touch on that, too, but because... Oh, go ahead, Bradley. Okay. You good. Uh, I mean, I think that taking away the other team's most important player is great because, you know, those are usually very dynamic players that can score in a variety of ways, and putting our best defender, like Leaky, on them, you know, turns a person averaging 18 points a game, and they might get six or seven points. But the other guys got to step up, man. They've they've got to be able to play mediocre defense on the other mediocre players, um, and not allow another guy to get up, th- you know, put up thirty points. And if if that happens, like I don't know, I, I'd have to watch the game back and, and figure out what we did with Caleb Grill. But put put Leaky on the hot guy. If there's if the guy hits three or four threes, switch Leaky over to the the guy that's on fire. Um, you know, don't let one person beat us. Yeah, I think I want to touch on that. I think Leaky's just kind of going to have to be like our roaming defender. Like he's going to guard a different guy every five minutes in the game, and it's going to be dependent on who scored the last three or four baskets. Um, I don't think that he needs to be st- stuck on like one certain person. Like they don't need to look at it as a like you know start of the game tip off. You look at the guy on the other team who's averaging fifteen or averaging eighteen or averaging twenty two, and then if that guy is 
halfway through the first half is at two points and you got some other guy you see just hit two threes back to back on two fast breaks like all right well next trip down the floor leaky's on him and you know i mean it's gonna i don't think that's a you know that is a surefire plan to get a win but i do think that's a start to where leaky you know leaky is not going to be our primary scorer but he is our primary defender and he is a lifeline on defense and like if we don't have him shutting down at least someone on the on the defensive end like we're going to be in trouble um that doesn't mean everyone else can't play defense but that just means like they need to be more attentive on okay leaky's not on the guy that's averaging 18 now so now someone else needs to step up and make sure that they can they can at least apply that pressure while leaky is you know worrying about the guy who's hot and then if, you know, if he so happens to hit a couple shots, then he switches back. But they, that's where that communication, you know, that's where that adaptation of basketball has to come in. Um, I don't know if a winning, like, a winning scenario is Leaky just guards the best player the whole game. And then, you know, 35 minutes in, that guy's got two points. But then, you know, seventh man off the bench has got 37. Like, it's not going to help us even though he's worrying about, you know, that person. So I, I think that's definitely a game plan maybe at the start of a game, but probably towards the end of the first half, second half, we're gonna, they need to reevaluate, like, where he's at and who he's guarding and who's who's scoring and who's not. It's a convenience to have somebody like Leaky on your team, right? He's a, he's a lockdown defender, but he's also 6'9". He can guard one through four, unless we're playing Purdue and he's got to guard Zach Eady. I mean, nobody can guard Zach Eady. But unless, you're, unless they have a guy like that on their team, Leaky can guard them. So he he can guard up to six ten, six eleven guys, um, and bang down in the paint and make them work for their baskets. So it, it's it's super convenient to have somebody like Leaky, and I think we need to use him more than what we're using him. I think that there's a bigger point here uh, to really Carolina basketball. So we know that things change over time, and in the past, I know that Dean Smith has a few quotes where he said, "I'm going to double team on drives because a layup is a higher percentage shot than a three pointer," and that's true. But in the last 10 to 15 years, teams are banging three-pointers out nonstop. And teams want to have open threes. They have shooters. And Carolina still plays a defense where they want to collapse on the drive. And I think there was a really great example in one of the PKI games that we texted about where Seth Trimble decides to go halfway down the paint. Uh, It was an entry pass. Armando's on defense. So he's halfway between his man, and Armando's man. So he's not double-teaming, but his man's wide open on the three-point line, probably a foot or two behind the three-point line. Big man passes it back out. Seth Trimble's man hit a three in his eye. And I've seen that happen to Carolina basketball for the last 10 to 15 years where we're not committing to the double-team in the paint and we're not committing to stopping the three. And I'm just wondering, what is our defense evolving into? Uh, It seems like we're playing an in-between defense that isn't really going to stop anything in the paint, and it's also not set up to stop the three. And then you watch teams like Virginia playing their pack line defense and, you know, Alabama. Alabama's playing man running over top of screens, and they're they're saying if you want to drive, the lane's yours, but you're not going to hit a three. And I think that that's been a little bit where our three-point struggles have been this year, and... I don't know. I, I, I trust that Hubert will fix it down the stretch. He did it last year, obviously had a great NCAA tournament run, but that is frustrating as a fan to watch us play that in-between defense where we're not really committed to uh, the paint or the three-point line. Uh, anything else you guys want to add about that before we move on? I will say that, yeah, we can, we can dog Seth on that play for sure, but Seth has shown proven that he is a, an elite defender. I think he's going to be a really good three- to four-year player for us. Um, I mean, he moves his feet well. He stays in front of the ball. Um, he's really quick. 
um, I, I appreciate what Seth does. But yes, and, and I think it has a lot to do with the players coming in, and you know, they know that these teams can shoot threes, and they know that these these guards are dynamic and these bigs are dynamic to to step out and shoot the three and make it. And I don't I don't know why we continue to teach it, but we, I, th- I think it's a Carolina thing that we leave the three open. We try to try to, you know, double team on the drive and 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 impact the paint, but we're leaving these shooters open. And I think it's between the players trying to learn and understand that they're leaving these mains wide open, but it's the coaches saying, "Hey, you need to do this." So it's like it's like. I think that's why we're seeing this in between of half and half is in their head they want to jump out to the perimeter, but they're trying to be coached to stay down in the lane, and they don't really know what to do. Is is my is my take? I think one thing that kind of befuzzles me a little bit is you know Huber is the best three point shooter in North Carolina history, right? And he's also the best three point percentage wise in the NBA, so he knows how much damage like three-pointers can do against a team, like how how it can really affect like the flow of a game or how it can really get you in a hole quickly when they're hitting. And so I think for that, that's something that needs to be adapted. It's like Hubert, Hubert knows. like He knows exactly like, you know, if somebody comes in and hits three threes on you, you're down by two, now you're down by 11. You're down by you're like in, in 35 seconds, 40 seconds. I mean, we've seen it. I mean, you guys remember when J.J. Redick would, come down three threes in a row and then you're like all right time out down by 12 you know that was quick like we can't and i think that happens more often now than it did then because i mean we're shooting like the average game you shoot 35 threes in a game combined like 10 years ago it was like 12 so like and like that's like something like you just can't like you know and the way it goes with carolina there's some guy that's having a career night on the other team doesn't matter what game and so like and that guy is most likely going to be standing on the three-point line and that's happened already twice this year. so Yeah, and I think the game has evolved a lot. And uh, just to circle back quickly, I am 100% with Bradley. Uh, use Seth Tremble as an example, but I am... I mean, I'm a, I'm as high on him as I am on anyone as our team on the team for the future. So, uh, yeah, just using him as an example there. But uh, I've seen Caleb, I've seen RJ do it. Uh, I've seen it happen quite a lot this year. So let's talk a little bit about this Alabama game. Uh, we touched on the Iowa State game, so... Alabama's crazy, right? It goes to four overtimes. Uh, there's a major refereeing gaffe. I'm not going to say we lost the game because of the refs, but uh, you certainly can't say it's not a gaffe to call goaltending, review it, call an inadvertent whistle. I mean, that, it, that's tough uh, to overcome, but still miss some free throws, other stuff out of our control. But what did you see in that game, Bradley? Uh, I know that that was a marathon game. Yeah, that game lasts three and a half hours. Um, so I, I was exhausted watching it, so I'm 100% sure that the players were exhausted from playing it. Um, I think Caleb Love played 58 out of 60 available minutes in that game. Um, so I don't know if that's impressive on his part or um, maybe a, a miscue on the coach's part for not <laughs> letting the bench play a little bit. He was probably exhausted. Uh, so Caleb Love on that game was 13 for 36. I don't think I've ever watched a college basketball game where a guard or anybody put up 36 shots. Um, I know that he did play 58 minutes, so I don't know. I feel like we got to do better at working the ball around, trying to get the bigs involved. <clears throat> uh, RJ was 8 for 24. 
Um, so when you're when your guards, when you're starting guards who are elite guards are going what nineteen for sixty, um, it's probably not a recipe for for a win. Um, so they were nineteen for sixty total, and then five for seventeen from three. So that's not going to win games. Yeah, and I'll pick up here real quick before I pass it off to Nick and. I think that this group will be the first to acknowledge I am the biggest Caleb defender in the group. <laughs> and uh, I will I will come to his defense a little bit here. Uh, we have seen other games, especially the Indiana game, where Caleb did not shoot as much and did not try to generate offense, and uh, it looks even worse somehow. Uh, I'm We'll talk about this quote from Hubert maybe in a little bit, where Hubert basically disagreed with Caleb and said that guys are moving on offense when they don't have the ball. And unless Hubert's watching a different game than I'm watching, I'm, I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing a lot of standing around, um, especially at the three and the four. I see RJ and Caleb dribbling the air out of the ball, trying to create something. I see Armando posting up a time or two. And if he doesn't have a good look, I see him starting to loaf around a little bit at the five. Um, I'm really not seeing the offensive movement flow I'm not seeing any of it this year, honestly. And we saw it great last year at the end of the year with Brady and that team. So I'm not I'm not sure where that's gone. I'm not sure why that's happened. Uh, I do think that Caleb has to spur the offense at times because no one's moving. Caleb even said that. He said uh, not much movement on offense. That's when Hubert disagreed with him. So uh, I will defend Caleb a little bit there. I think that it looks even worse when he doesn't try to create offense. And I truly, I, I don't know what the solution is. Nick, what do you think? So this this goes back to where, you know, we have to move the ball. Um, how many assists do we have, I think? What was it, 15 at on? How many made shots? I mean, it wasn't that many. But towards the end of the game. 15 assists and six, 60 minutes worth of game time. Yeah, so 60 minutes. So you played basically a game and a half and 15. You had, yeah, you had a game and a half. You had five assists per half in that. Like, I mean, you can't. You can't expect Caleb Love and R.J. Davis to shoot the ball 60 times out of the 90 that we shot the ball and us to win if they're not shooting at a high cli- at a very, very high clip. Um, but that goes back to, I think, you know, Pete has to spread the floor. They have to – he has to hit – he has to knock down a couple, a couple early shots. They give him his respect. That opens up the paint for Baycott to go to work. Um, if anyone, regardless, hits a couple of, you know, shots early, it opens up the paint. That gives you reason for to get the ball into Baycott. They can't double him because they've got the shooters on the on the perimeter. As soon as they double him, they kicks it back out. You got some more threes. But until then, you have to you have to kind of you have to pick your poison. So, and I think right now we're just kind of in a rut where we can't get one part going to get the other part going. Because I think once we have both, it's no problem. I think the the problem that we have is there's just no way to, you know, right now I think Caleb and RJ are both just in a little bit of slump. Today against VT was a little bit better. But um, I just think, you know, it's a it's a team effort. Like someone's got to step up and get a couple big early baskets, and then that opens up the game for everyone else. I mean, even Leakey can do it. Leakey had a game where he shot four for four with two threes, you know, had 11 points. And, like, if they have to start respecting Leakey Black on the perimeter, I mean, it's only going to get easier for everyone else. But I think also Puff spreads the floor really well. Um, I think if Pete's going to play, he needs to be on the perimeter more, just given his length and his body style. I don't think he's going to bang around the paint as well as Baycott is. Um, so he, Baycott has to have his have his time to work. Um, and if he doesn't, then I feel like it's just going to really, really kind of like stagnate the offense, and it's just going to be Caleb running through a ball screen trying to get open and dribbling the ball too much. And 
it's not going to work out. That's not how you win games. You can't win. You can't beat these teams like that, especially when they're. Well, the funny thing is, and I know we all saw this tweet is after that Alabama game. A lot of people saw that the ball was not moving. I mean, we're dribbling the air out of the ball. And I saw some snarky tweet that said, you know, Hubert went deep into the playbook. And if you don't if you don't think he was calling plays, you don't know ball. And I'm thinking, okay, that's fine. Uh, I'm sure he did go deep into the playbook. But I can flip on Kansas with a whole new get team. I can flip on Duke with a whole new team. And they're running offenses where they're getting open shots. No one's dribbling, dribbling the air out of the ball. So... If Huber is going deep into the playbook, calling all these offensive sets, and we can't, I mean, we can't even get an entry paint pass into the paint half the time. No one's open, so do we need to throw away the play? Is it antiquated? I mean, are you seeing anything like that, Bradley, or what do you think? No, I mean, I, I agree. It's, I think it's, it's obvious that our ball movement is just awful. I mean, you you. you 75% of our plays are guards tossing the ball around the perimeter waiting for somebody to do something. And that's when Caleb or Andre has to dribble around and try to create space and, and pull up a step back three with two seconds left on the shot clock. Um, and, and I don't know if it's – I don't know if it's just we're playing good defenses. You know, you know they're fighting through screens and not letting us drive. Uh, they're fighting through screens and not letting us, you know, get a good shot for three. Um it's it's tough, man. Um, and just looking at looking at the bigs down low, like Baycott, if he'll have position for you know two seconds maybe, and if they if they don't get him the ball quick enough, then he loses the position, pushed out on the block, and gets the ball twelve feet from the basket. He has to put the put the ball down and dribble, and then when he does that, that's when they double and, and grab the grab the ball and steal it from him. Um, I think we've got to move just move the ball more efficiently. Um, we need to you know pass the ball more crisper um just just work on our offensive you know awareness um take what the defense gives you and and work with it because like you said duke's doing it kansas is doing it duke's got 13 new players and they can do it so what's the deal with us i think one thing i need to touch back on is like i don't think there's one way to think about this and it's not to hope that we can hit our first couple shots to get the ball moving I think we need to get the ball moving to hit our first couple shots. I feel like that one's a whole lot more logical and a whole lot easier to accomplish than to hope that Caleb or RJ hit two or three threes in the first five minutes to open up the floor. I don't think that's as, as high of a percentage as moving the ball to get an open shot. I mean, even I'm happy with a loss. I mean, you know, I'm not ha- ever happy with a loss, but I'm, I'm okay with losing if we're moving the ball and playing good and someone's just better than us, but not when we're not playing Carolina basketball and that we have not played Carolina basketball in the last four or five, like four or five games, it's been tough. But I mean, yeah, that's a good point. We're not playing Carolina basketball, but is Carolina basketball changing? You know, our our our, our expectations of Carolina basketball do they need to change based on this new coaching hire? Well, I I know we've talked about this a lot, and a staple of Carolina basketball is something that maybe other people don't realize as much as a thing uh it's the secondary fast break so you know you have your fast break run out uh you get up the floor and you get a quick layup two on one in two seconds so the secondary fast break uh if anybody's listening and isn't exactly sure what that is that's where uh you get the rebound you get down court and 
before the defense gets set, whether there's three, four, five people, you're already making your entry pass to the paint, you're blowing by, and I'm not seeing secondary fast breaks with, and I didn't really see it last year, honestly, and I think that Bradley has a really good point there, that Carolina basketball might be changing. Uh, Roy Williams used Joel Berry, Marcus Page, Kendall Marshall, Ty Lawson, Raymond, I mean, I could go on and on to run a beautiful secondary fast break. And uh, I don't know if it's that Caleb and RJ aren't capable of it. I don't know if Hubert doesn't focus on it, but we got a lot of points from that. And we got a lot of momentum from that. And we scored quickly within the first five to eight seconds of the shot clock. And uh, we really put a lot of pressure on the other team to keep up scoring with us. And this year, I feel like it's our defense. Uh, We have to hold teams on defense to low scores just to give our offense a chance to keep us in the game. Uh, I think we've seen that. We'll throw the Alabama game away. I mean, that's a four-overtime game that doesn't count. (laughs) I mean, they're going to have to score 100 in that game. But if you look at the Iowa State game, the Indiana game, uh, the two other Division I opponents we've played, we just, we're not scoring. Like, we're used to Carolina basketball scoring the basket, and uh, it's it's unfortunate, and it definitely is a change, but uh, we'll move on to Indiana now. So, we go into Rec Hall. Like I said, team hasn't been back home. They've been at the PKI over there out in Portland. Uh, so, they get into Rec Hall, which you know is going to be a crazy atmosphere, and uh, it was pretty good to start. Uh, halftime, we went down. So, Bradley, what were you seeing during that game? Um, I think I think I expected us to, to struggle in that game. Um, it was our first true road test this year, uh, and it's unfortunate that our first true road test was uh, at Indiana because I can't remember a time where a Carolina team played well at Indiana. Um, it's a rowdy crowd. Uh, they get they get super loud, and, and they, they like their Indiana basketball. Um, and, and we were just exhausted. We had just played a four-overtime game a couple days prior. We hadn't even been back to Chapel Hill yet. Um, we've been gone since before Thanksgiving, uh, so I think I think that was tough on the team as well. Just just traveling and playing four games within what was it, like seven days, um, and, and one of those being a four overtime game. Uh, I think we just we just struggled to to play to play decent defense for forty minutes, um, and again just just struggled moving the ball um, and. Every, every look that we had was either forced or it was forced into a bad shot, a rush shot, uh, a difficult shot. Uh, and it felt like all of Indiana's baskets were super close to the basket, layups, um, open threes. It's, it, it's, it's hard and it's difficult to win a game like that where every shot you take is contested and all the shots that you're giving up are wide open. Yeah, I, I saw all the exact same things. Uh... So yeah, like I mentioned, you know, we're down by a little bit at halftime. We think I think it was six we were down. We think that we need to come out in the second half and make a run. And really they just came out in the second half and they put it on us. And uh, Nick, did you see anything that you wanted to talk about in that game? Um, I think that game our paint present what presence was um not there at all. Um there were numerous times when you have what well, I think what was his name, Trace Jackson Davis for Indiana just absolutely just bullied Pete Nance underneath the basket. Like he just pushed him out of the way like he wasn't even there. Which I mean, I know that's not that's not Pete's forte is, you know, banging down the paint, but just to have a little bit of resistance to help would have been nice, but I think he had twenty one and ten, I think. And then they also had a freshman, um, Jalen Hushafino. I mean, he I think averages he averaged seven, seven a game, I think, and then he ended up with fourteen I think it was five or seven. He had his four. He got fourteen. He had fourteen at halftime. I think. I think the second half he cooled off, but 
you know, those two right there, like, first play of the second half, you get a dunk. Like, or I think that was the first play of the second half, or right after a timeout, like, come out, come out and get a dunk. You get the crowd behind you, like, in, like, in Bloomington, like, it's right. The crowd's right on top of you. The fans are literally straight, like, right on top of the court. You're coming in with heavy legs from having a four-overtime game four days ago. You haven't been home in a week. Like, I mean, it's a tough – it's tough. Like, I think it was our backs were definitely against the wall. But um, another thing there, like, I mean, they were picking – we were running our sets starting at the literally, like, half court. Like, our screens were getting set at half court. That's where our offense was starting. And they were just pretty much just telling us what to do. Like, they were putting us right where they wanted them. We were throwing passes straight into their defense. We couldn't even get the ball. Like, we couldn't, we couldn't even make passes. Like, the, the, long, the hardest thing we could do – like, the easiest thing we could do was get a handoff. And we could barely do that. I mean, we just – I felt like that game we weren't hungry. Like, they were diving on the floor, pushing the ball. Like, you know, diving on the floor, body after body. Like, getting fast break points. Like, they played Carolina basketball against us. Like, they took us completely – completely out of our element like they were diving on the floor Every, the crowd was getting pumped like there was one point where in the first half like i think demarco dunn had a block and he just like you know turn around jog back into the huddle like you know you're in a, you're in an away crowd you need to get pumped up you need to start screaming banging your chest like you have to start that fire in a in a hostile environment you have to let the the, the team know that you're playing the fans that are there that it doesn't matter like it doesn't matter where we are carolina comes it's a home it, it's our it's our it's now our court we're playing we're playing carolina basketball and i just felt like we didn't have any of that well, there was no fire in that game whatsoever like it looked like they were, did not care well i'll piggyback on that because you're hitting the nail on the head and a lot of the themes in the first games that we lost that we talked about was okay the other team they hit a lot of threes and that got us in trouble okay well when you look at the indiana game the entire game indiana hit three threes we hit five threes and what essentially happened is indiana punched us in the mouth and we had we we had nothing for them they threw the haymaker we laid down and that was it and we let them punch us in the mouth for 40 straight minutes and uh it's disappointing to see that as a carolina fan uh, another stat that stands out to me that game is we played a 40-minute basketball game and had five total assists. I don't remember a Carolina team ever doing that. Uh, I, it all goes back to I, I don't know what the set offense is. I don't know what plays Hubert's calling in, but the ball's not moving and we're not getting open looks, and it's hard to score when you're just going to play iso ball. Uh, but, yeah, Bradley, you have anything else before we move on to the Virginia Tech game? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point uh, that Nick made. Indiana played Carolina basketball. They they banged in the paint. They they took it to us. They didn't shoot well. I mean, they you shot, they, you were there, what, thir- three, for, three for 13 from three. So they shot 23% from three, and they dominated us. Um, it's just amazing to me that I'm witnessing this. Um, so that, that was our third loss in a row. Um, like you said, five assists. Um when your starting guards have what two assists and three turnovers and Caleb had one assist and two turnovers so when your starting guards have more uh, turnovers than assists like I said earlier it doesn't set you up well to win the game it's not a good recipe for for a win there Well, I think it's uh, safe to say long gone are the days of Kendall Marshall, but uh, we certainly could use a Kendall Marshall on this team, and we miss him. 
so I want to move on to the Virginia Tech game because recently, within the last uh, few hours, there's a little bit of an interesting controversy, maybe you would call it, not a controversy, I don't know. But uh, Hubert confirmed that Armando was cleared to play, and then uh, the quote was something along the lines of, uh, I can't make him play, and he decided not to play. Uh, Now, I think that everyone knows their own body, but I think that that's a tough look for a team on a three-game winning streak, and uh, you really need a win. It's the first conference game, ACC play, and... Uh, Armando just decided that he wasn't ready. Nick, what, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, ACC play is the only, like, you know, I'm okay with, I've, I've said it, you know, I've said it for the last couple months. I said we're starting ACC play 8-0 or 5 or 4-4, or four and four, and we're 5-3. and three. Um, You have to come at ACC play no matter if you're playing Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, Duke, it doesn't matter. That game is, a, in my opinion, it's a must-win. You need to come in and set the tone. Like there, I was fully expecting them after having a three-game losing streak to come out and just absolutely put the frick, the screws to Virginia Tech. And it's kind of, you know, disheartening to I have never experienced someone who was cleared to play by the medical staff and chose not to play. Now there might be something going on that we don't know. The only thing we know is what he said in the press conference. Um, but from an outside perspective, looking in, like that is your leader. He came back and he rallied everyone else to come back for this year to come to run it back. And it doesn't look good that he chose not to play. I mean, he even even in the national championship, he came out on a on a leg and a half and gave everything he got until he literally, um, literally twisted his ankle and couldn't couldn't even walk. And he still tried to come back out and play. And then he twisted his ankle again. And then he finally had to come out. Like, that's the Baycott I remember and I know and I want back. Like, you know, I understand it's your senior season. You're gotten, you've got a lot more stuff going on now. You've got to prepare for the future. But, like, you came back for a reason to set the tone and win a national championship. And sitting out games from what I – what all the information that I have provided to me is not acceptable – or the Carolina way to win a basketball game. And that needs to be, I think, probably looked at. You know, you can't assume. You can't assume anything. If, let's just assume it's for good reason. That's fine. But, I mean, you have to look at the other boys in the locker room. You got your, you know, your first-team All-American, preseason All-American saying, ah, I'm not feeling it. Like, so then they're like, all right, well, now we got to pick. The, after already struggling for the last three games, now you got to pick this up and go out here on, you know, limping out again so it's tough man it'd be tough i mean you know that gets in people's heads starting a game um i did think the virginia tech game definitely we showed a little bit more fight towards the end of the game but we have to have that fight at the beginning like we don't need to be playing catch up in the last seven minutes we need to be we need to be holding the lead for the last seven minutes and i feel like right now we're just we're not waking up in time and i mean it's tough i mean you know you're going out there not fully fully armed for for a fight and you know every night in the acc I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, ACC was what second and eighth place was two games apart or one game apart. These games are the ones that we need to win. Yeah, and I think Bradley had a great point earlier, and I'll let him expand on this a little bit. But he mentioned that yeah, the second half and especially the last five minutes of that game looked great, but you can't do that, especially in the ACC, where you're only going to give 
five minutes. You've got to play basketball for 40 minutes in the ACC or, uh, you know, Pittsburgh just came up. They beat State. Those teams will come into your gym. You'll go into their gym and they will beat you. So you're going to have to figure out how to give a 40 minute effort. And it is really disappointing about Armando. But uh, Nick, you covered everything I think about it. And I won't really uh, sit here and harp on it. Uh, Bradley, what do you think about the Virginia Tech game? Yeah, I think it hurt us really, really bad that uh, Armando didn't play. Um, I don't. Nick kind of said everything that I, I was thinking, um, so I won't expand on it either. But it really hurt us that he didn't play today. I don't think we had an offensive rebound in the first half, which is uh, very rare for a Carolina basketball team, um, which we're not out rebounding teams anyways. So uh, missing him um, in our preseason, you know, All ACC Player of the Year, uh, you know, not ideal. Um, so I, I actually didn't get to watch the game because I was at work, but um, I tried to keep up with what I could. I mean, it looks like that and we had several players play well. Um, Pete Nance shot almost 50%. RJ's over 50%. Caleb's at 50%. Um, lots of minutes off the bench, I guess, because Armando didn't play today. It is interesting that Puff only played 12 minutes since he started. Um, I would have liked to see this lineup with Baycott in instead of Nance. Um, so that would be Baycott, Puff, Leaky, RJ, and Caleb to see what that kind of lineup would, would do and shake up. Just because I think, you know, Pete is more of a traditional four as opposed to a five and isn't as effective backing down opponents as Baycott is. Yeah, I mean, it looks like looks like our bench played well too. So we just have to be able to play more effective defense, move the ball better, and start hitting down some three-pointers, man. We're three for 17. You can't win games shooting 17% from the three-point line. Yeah, and that, that's been a huge theme of the season is uh, it's surprising with Hubert being such a great three-point shooter that this team just can't shoot. It doesn't seem like, and I hope that they are going to improve as the season goes on because you're you're not going to win a lot of basketball games in 2022 going 3 of 17 from the three-point line. You're, you're just not. Uh, this isn't you know 2005 anymore where you can just bang in the paint all day. So hopefully that improves. It's going to have to for the season to get better, and that that goes along with getting open looks and things like that. But uh, really, I think that we've kind of caught up on the basketball season this year. Is there any other overarching stuff that you guys want to talk about before we move on from basketball? Um, I think my last point I want to make is, like, we are not going to be successful unless Armando Baycott is feared by the other team. Like we're not going to be successful unless he is coming out and he can he can give us eighteen and fifteen, which he's very 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 well capable of doing every single game. But if you have teams that aren't like you know in the ACC, in the NCAA tournament last year, like people were scared of him. He was coming out and bullying people for forty minutes every game for six games straight. And I don't know if like that has just set my expectations to where like he should be doing this now. Because the games he's playing now aren't the competition. I mean, he was doing this against Baylor, you know, UCLA, Duke, like like Kansas, like all of these teams in the in the NCAA tournament last year. He was he was doing whatever he wanted to. And if we don't have that, then we cannot rely on Caleb and RJ to shoot us out of a out of, of a of a tight game. And I don't think Pete has the build to be able to demand that attention that Baycott does especially at the caliber of a player and how much hype he has coming into the season, which is well-deserved. But I think that right there is kind of like the – he's definitely our key to a very successful season, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Bradley, any last thoughts before we move on from basketball? Um, I guess we could touch on um, Dunn being out. 
Um, I had no clue that he had a broken hand until about 15 minutes before the game today. So I don't know if they were like kind of covering that up or didn't release it until until right before the game started. But I think that's gonna um, be important in the, over the next f- several weeks, just because he has come in off the bench and provided um, provided some good offense, provided great defense. Um, so somebody else off the bench is going to have to step up. Maybe it'll be Tyler Nickel. Maybe it'll be Dontre Styles. You know, we haven't seen much of him in the last, really, last six games or so. I'm kind of confused as well why we haven't seen Jalen Washington yet. I mean, I feel like, you know, today as we were struggling uh, since several players off the bench got minutes, it's kind of interesting to see that he, he didn't make his way on the court. So, um as far as I know, he's been cleared to play, so Hubert has high praise for him. He says he's one of the best shooting forwards he's ever seen. We could definitely use that right now. Yeah, I think a big surprise for me, honestly, is uh, last year Dunn was buried on the bench. I mean, he really didn't get minutes, and uh, this year he has been a surprise for me, and I've really liked what he's brought to the court. I think... Uh, I know you mentioned it earlier where the rest of the team really is not getting excited and it seems like Dunn is bringing a little more energy than the rest of the guys. Uh, him and Trimble are definitely two of my favorite players this year. I, I think that the future is in good hands with Dunn and Trimble being our guards. Uh, so yeah, I think the future is bright with those two guys. I like them a lot. A little bit surprised that Styles hasn't gotten much burn this year considering last year. I mean, you can make an argument we lose to Baylor in overtime without Styles hitting that first three. Uh, so that's been a surprise to me. Uh, Nickel is a literal walking bucket. So I was looking back at his high school career. Guy broke JJ record, JJ Reddick's scoring record. Uh, he's his name is in the record book with guys like Allen Iverson. So uh, Nickel's a bucket, and I, I think for him he needs confidence, and he will hit threes for us, and that is something that we desperately need. So uh, looking ahead a little bit here. So. Our basketball team has a home game this coming Saturday against Georgia Tech. Is, is that a must-win game? It's an ACC game. Georgia Tech's record is 5-3. and three. Is that a must-win game for us? We've got to win a game, man. We've, we've lost four straight. We have got to get a win. Um, our best win is on a neutral site court against Portland. We've got to get this win, man. Uh, I don't, we don't need to lose five straight. Yeah, we have to we have to start getting these wins like these you know, no disrespect to Georgia Tech, the easier pickup wins in the ACC because they don't come often and, you know, we gotta play state twice, we have to play Duke twice. We have you know, we'll have Syracuse is always a hard game. Pittsburgh came in last year and, you know, did us dirty. Um it's there's a couple of there's a couple of like, you know, there's the top Every game is going to be hard, and you know Louisville is always a dark horse. They're always good. So like these 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 games, like you know your your Boston Colleges, your Georgia Techs, your teams like that, like these are wins that first off should build confidence and also should be a dub at the end of the day on the stat sheet. And that's what we need right now. Louisville might not be a dark horse this year. They're zero and eight. Yeah, Louisville and Florida oh, I State. Not, I did not know that. Yeah, Louisville and Florida State are struggling bad. But you know the ACC is a weird conference, man. Florida State was uh, one in seven. Gave Purdue a game and then gave Virginia a game. I don't care what anyone says. I know the SEC's gotten better. I know the Big Twelve is good. The ACC is the basketball becca. It, it honestly is. It has been. Carolina basketball, Duke. They're going to get every team's best shot. We are going to get the best shot that five and three Georgia Tech has because we're Carolina. 
and they don't care if Carolina is number one in the country and 9-0 and or if they're unranked and they've lost four in a row. They're going to come out there and they're going to want to hit us in the mouth then. I hope that Armando plays, and that, I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, he's obviously the leader of the team. Uh, like you guys mentioned, a lot of guys probably came back. I think Leaky sent the first text that said, let's run it back, and Armando was a big part of that. And I hope that Armando is still hungry, and I'm just going to leave it there. I hope, I hope he's hungry, and I hope he plays. And we, we For me, it's a must win. Uh, you can't lose to Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech and start 0-2 in the ACC. We've got to win that basketball game. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Armando will play. I mean, you look you look back at Armando, we don't get half of our recruits without Armando Baycott. Um, he's he's a big reason why a lot of our recruits came to Carolina. I think he probably recruited Pete Dance. I know he recruited Cole Anthony. Like, um, He recruited Gigi for us before Gigi reclassed. He was, he was going hard for Gigi. Yeah. <laughs> before Gigi left us, yeah. Uh, so Armando's a great recruit. He loves Carolina. I don't. I don't see him turn his back on this. No, nah, and I don't think he'll turn his back for sure. I mean, you know, we're not. I would never bag on Armando. He's he's a great. He, he's been a great ambassador for UNC. Great basketball player. Uh, I think that we can all agree there's probably not a future in the NBA. I think he'll be overseas in Europe, somewhere like that, which is great. You know, carve out a great career over there. But, uh, man, I do hope he's hungry to get that NCAA championship before he leaves and to be the second redeemed team. This is Nathan, Nick, and Bradley. Thanks for spending an hour in a Tar Heel state of mind. Please join us on our episode next week. Go Heels. Sweet.